Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom, he, him, Don Lister, she, her, and our guest today, Anna Ashby, she. Welcome, Anna Ashby. We're so delighted to have you on our podcast, which is episode one of season three. I can't believe we're on season three. I'm so excited. And I'm really honoured and delighted to have you as our very first guest. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So um, Anna has um, a rich and long history in the world of yoga. I'm, 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 she practices many types of yoga, but she specializes specifically in restorative yoga, which is something I particularly love to do. I really enjoy it. And I'm really looking forward to a deep dive into what restorative yoga is all about. She's released a book via Singing Dragon, and the book is called, I'm correct in saying, Restorative Yoga. Is that correct, Anna? Yes. Almost. It's restorative Almost. yoga, power, presence, practice for ah, teachers and trainees. Thank you. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a wonderful book. And I know that you guys are all going to really um, learn a lot from it and be inspired to either deepen your practice in a way that perhaps you haven't done before or learn something entirely new. For some people, the idea of restorative yoga practice just sounds a bit different and a bit unusual. She, Anna is American, but she's lived in Britain for the past 20 years. So you're practically British, really, half and half. Um, you've worked in Tri Yoga in London since 2003, and you were co-founder of the Foundation Teacher Training Programme, the Advanced Teacher Training Programme, and then you um, alone created the Restorative Teacher Training Programme. So you have been very productive. I think we should at least acknowledge that, that you have done an incredible body of work. I take my hat off to you. I can barely manage my own diary, so I don't know how, how on earth you've managed to pull all that together. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> maybe, it's all, maybe it's all the restorative yoga. <laughs> it leaves you feeling all calm and sort of present, so you're able to step up and produce all this work. So let's let's check in. I mean, it's been a while since we've recorded um, season two. There's a lot been going on in the world and for us personally. So I'm going to just check in with you guys and see what you've been up to and share that with our listeners. Daniel, how are you? What's what's been happening in your world? Hi, Dawn and hi, Anna. Um, really lovely to be back here for, I can't believe this is season three. I think this is something like we've done over 40 recordings now <laughs> it's amazing so um it feels a real honor to be back um how starting this off with a subject that i just hold very close to my heart restorative yoga and you know that will come up in the conversation that we have anna is it's been a lifeline for me it really has um i am doing well i'm just back from a weekend away um at a um, LGBT music festival in Butlins, um, which is some words that I never thought would go together from my mouth. <laughs> but it was just, I had such a good weekend. Uh, it's the first time actually I've been to a weekend like that where it just felt so inclusive and so freeing to be around so many um, other LGBT people um and we butlins i'm sure you know anna or you've probably heard of it it's like this holiday camp that's been around forever so 
everyone at some point or another from the UK has been on holiday to a Butlins or has been to an event or something to do with Butlins. And, you know, it had quite a, it had quite a bad name for itself because it was kind of one of those places where people would turn their nose up if you ever went there on holiday. But actually, we, we just had so much fun. They got this huge water park there. So you can imagine what it was like. I think it was Sunday morning. They had a Spice Girls pool party. <laughs> full of drag queens <laughs> there was a big sign when you walked in saying can you please make sure your wigs don't go down the plug hole oh <laughs> <laughs> there's a rapids ride and i went down the rapids and i banged my head and gave myself concussion <laughs> but that wasn't anything to do with drinking or anything because i'm completely sober but i just ended up kind of spinning around headbutt in the floor and then my full body weight and obviously the the water as well just propelled me into this this bit of the floor so I've yeah I had to step out of Sunday afternoon in the evening because I had actually quite serious concussion for about two days um but feeling a lot better now but it was just such a it's such a great way to start the year being around so many queer people and just you know being feeling like you can go back to doing things that didn't feel so restrained because there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of, um, they've changed all the rules now in terms of our social distancing and having to wear masks. So it was really nice to be able to be out and not have to feel like you had to worry about that sort of stuff. Although weirdly, so many people were really respectful of everyone else's space. So that was really lovely to be in that, you know, that whole mm -hmm. environment. So that's where I'm back from. <laughs> have you been, Dawn? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's the ongoing, ever, never-ending COVID saga for me, really, isn't it? I am, I am what you would call a COVID queen. You know, it loves me. I clearly love it. If I am in within two feet of it, I catch it again. So, yeah, I got really, um, I tore my hamstring quite badly at the end of season two. I was on crutches for weeks. And here's something, you don't want to know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. If you tear your hamstring badly enough, you can't sit on a bathroom toilet. You can't sit in a toilet. I'll leave that there. So two weeks on crutches, unable to sit on the pan. It was interesting. Um, legs up. So all I did was restorative yoga on bed, actually, for weeks. Uh, and then I got flu. And then I got COVID. So, yeah, it's been fun. It's been great. I had a great, I had a great three months. <laughs> and to be fair, I was really ill with COVID. I think I was my immune system was so depressed from COVID number one, long COVID, hamstring tear, flu, and then COVID again, that I was just like, I actually got depressed, like full on lying on my bed, looking at the ceiling, going, what's the point in even being here for only for about a day, but still, I'm going to, I'm going to milk it as much as I can. And, um, but I, it was, it went on and on. And Christmas day was, I was so ill. I was like being sick and all that rubbish. And then about three weeks ago, I woke up one morning and I felt perfectly well bizarre like perfectly well like pre-march 2020 covid like brain cells re-engaged like it was like somebody lifted a dark cloud energy in my body i started having to have i actually laughed at things again which i haven't done for a long time so yeah i'm, I'm really hopeful that i'm over the worst so all you listeners out there who've got long covid two years on i'm better so there's hope there is hope that you that you can improve just avoid slipping on wet puddles and ripping your hamstrings because that, that wasn't that wasn't good 
So positive start to the year, crappy end of the year, bring on season three. It's going to, I'm determined it's going to be a good year this year. So there, that's me. Anna, what about you? What have you been, what have yours wow. been helpful? I mean, how can I follow you guys? Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> Definitely um, not a Spice Girls pool party. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my life seems very just kind of even toned uh, comparatively for different reasons, but um, wow. Well, you know, I'm just easing back in and finding my way into the yoga landscape. Like what I mean by that is uh, the form that teaching needs to take. We all sort of March 2020 scrambled online and zoomified the yoga world. Thank goodness. Um, and then, you know, we've been going back and forth. So now I'm like, I have a combination of some online classes, some in person classes, uh, and, you know, some recorded stuff. So it's, it's just kind of finding a new pattern to the living because it's been so disturbed. And then recognizing that pre-March 2020, like, I don't want to go back. <laughs> so there's like an amazing opportunity. I'm like, 2022, year of the tiger change, you know? So let's, um, yeah, there's lots of, it's a time to, to, to create new patterns, wholesome patterns. Um, it struck me about what you said, Don, because my, my partner also has long COVID, you know? So from March 2020, that was the one that was gotten, and he's just suffered pretty badly for a long time, but he's, as like you, coming back slowly. I mean, he's still not quite right, but it's taken him a good, you know, it's almost coming up on two years, yeah. you know? So I just have a lot of, Oh, just my heart goes out to the people who who have been suffering in, in that way because it's not fun. It's not fun at all. But there is hope, as you say. Mm. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm so I'm so sorry to hear that, and it is horrible. It's an and I think because there's been a lot of misunderstanding around that, you know, even mm. from the medical profession, you know, saying it's not a thing and you need to just pull yourself together and. You know, but it seems like as time goes on, more research is coming out. And but mm -hmm. I, I don't know about your partner, but I certainly found restorative yoga and yoga nidra were the only two things that gave me any respite from feeling like hell. Well, I'm so glad you did. Um, and unfortunately, my my partner is a non yogi. Oh. <laughs> He's also military. So. Oh. Yeah. So it, you know it wasn't his main kind of go-to if you know what I mean and then it gets a little complicated when you're in relationship you know and then and I was a caretaker so you know we did some breathing together and stuff like that and uh but you know it's really helpful you end up in the uh, there's a long COVID rehabilitation program and they really are hardcore they were having yeah. him go do full-on you know exercise stuff in, in, in was at the hospital, but it was in a gym like setting and squats and all kinds of stuff. And after he went through that, this was um, a couple months ago, you know, so he was well along. It really made the difference for he, for him to build strength again and, and find strength in his body. Um, because, you know, he's, he comes, you know, he has, he's a strong guy, but the, the illness really, he lost like two stone, you know. That's really interesting. You say that because we'll get to your book very quickly. But I, I've been anxious to do any exercise because twice I went back to the gym 
and put myself back massively back in bed like for month, for a couple of months you know up for two hours back in bed for the day for a long time and mm. I'm just starting to feel like oh because I can't my I'm so weak I can't do push-ups mm. so he so he but he, they encouraged him to do strength exercises yeah and they had a there's a quite you know um a lot of different people from different ages different walks of life different backgrounds so so, so they would obviously have to adjust it to people's because it's so people have such a different experience to the, the virus so um but they pushed him and when he even when he didn't want to and he actually it 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 did the thing of making him feel better so it was the right timing i think it's all about the right timing and um they weren't like i don't want to say that they were aggressive or anything like that but they did say keep going you know because the, the impulse is to pull back in the fear and not do it and but i really do see there was a market difference in his in, in him you know oh. after that after he did that program so i'm real grateful you know now he's back full-time at work and getting back into his his life mm -hmm. again which is good because you know two years is a long time to just take <laughs> yeah i know i know my poor family you know they were just like first six months they thought i was being lazy and kept telling me to go for a run and then in the end they were all like so worried but yeah. really worried felt like they were looking after an invalid but anyway enough long covid we'll do yes. this <laughs> let's, let's talk about your tell us about how you came to be practicing restorative yoga teaching it and what made you want to write this book yeah well you know it, you know, as you said in the intro it's, it's kind of like a long rich and varied history um you know so when i i started out as a dancer you know as often happens with people who practice yoga at a young age you know like um i started practicing yoga when i was 20 i think it was and let's well, make a long story short you know like i was i ended up getting a degree in performance and choreography i was going to be a choreographer uh and then things just happened rather rapidly and i met a yoga teacher my my yoga guru and I just became switched on. It was like, I, I want to study yoga. I want to know what that is like, because it's very compelling. When I, when I met my teacher, you definitely, you know, like when you're around a great being, you know it, you feel it in their presence. And I thought, I want to be like her when I grow up. That's what went in my head. So there was a quick, and I decided to move into an ashram, which was concerning for my parents, of course, because I just, spent a lot of money sending me to university um so they were a little concerned like what was going on there but in that context an ashram being a yoga community it's an actual sanskrit word that means without fatigue right and so it's an environment where you go to study yoga in a in a it's very focused and usually it's led by a, a teacher there's different types of you know ashrams you can find them with different teachers leading them and it's very much part of the yoga tradition. And so I spent a good chunk of time there, like 12 years. Um, my 20s, I think, wow, you know, so it was quite a formative time where the whole focus was about practice and study of the teachings and, um, you know, and the people who I was ended up being on staff. So we would run programs for people and that kind of thing. So it's just being completely immersed in an environment that was completely about what is yoga, the practices of it as outlined by a, a you know, a, a master teacher and um, it was contemplative and, and funny enough, 
hatha yoga, the physical practice it, in this particular school wasn't the main focus necessarily. It was part of it. Meditation was, right? And so it was an environment that was very potent and it was about stillness and turning inwards and that kind of stuff, which I found very difficult because here I am in my early 20s and a dancer. So even I can even feel myself now. I, I move a lot. That's what I do. So I actually did find it quite challenging to slow down. <laughs> and I and I actually felt that meditation, I just thought I was not designed to do it. <laughs> and I'm sure there are other people there are people out there who probably can relate. Um, and in the course of this time, I came across restorative yoga because we we would bring teachers in from the outside who who you know who and and you know even I think Judith Laster came to at one point and taught and so I came I became familiar with restorative and it was funny having come from a background a performance background which was all about how you look and how many pirouettes you could do and how high you would get your leg and all this kind of stuff to reframe and be in the body in a way that was wholesome you know where it wasn't about how it looked or how high you at least from this context anyway you know it was about how does it feel and what is the purpose of the practice and the purpose in this context was to go deep into embodied experience and to experience um essence or self or, or even god if you want to use that word so the practice the, the physical practices for me became a way of accessing something very personal and deep you know um that connected me also with a sense of the universal um so yeah so so my practice of the physical practice is very tied into the tradition um and that's how i kind of got into the restorative and of course i liked uh physical practice too it wasn't that i didn't do that but i i particularly loved just being able to become still and settle inwards and rest a bit and simply feel you know what's going on I think you know what you've said there Anna is really kind of they're really the fundamentals aren't they of what restorative yoga is for isn't it you know but uh, you know my experience of restorative yoga was a time when I actually felt completely exhausted mm. from lifestyle um that you know was a very had very negative connotations around it you know I was I was I was I was displaying a lot of addictive behavior um which was exhausting to keep up with and then actually my yoga practice had become an addictive behavior in itself because I was using it as a way to then sustain a lifestyle that actually just felt unattainable to me so I stepped away from a very busy life a very busy yoga practice <laughs> and found restorative yoga and it was at the time it i was so exhausted that i i it was the only thing that i could do i was that exhausted you know i was at that point of chronic fatigue burnout where you know i just i i didn't know what else to do and thankfully i'd heard of restorative yoga and interestingly actually i got due this book and taught myself how to do it and then subsequently went on and did some training with Judith but um what I've always been really fascinated to want to know about is 
more of the history of where restorative yoga has come from because actually it is very specific isn't it in its in its delivery and it actually it's very it's very clear what it is restorative yoga <laughs> and it's really interesting I think for people to understand why that came about and you go into your book really beautifully around the history of it and I felt it might be really useful for you to maybe share that because it will then take us on into more of the detail behind the practice. Sure. Well, when I, um, yeah, I, th it's an interesting topic because we can, you'll find there's a lot of um, misunderstanding or even conflation between styles in, in the, right now. And like you said, restored is very specific and we can directly, you know, uh, trace it back through Mr. Iyengar, BKS Iyengar has done probably the most to develop the body of work. Um, and, 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 and of course his student was Judith and then she's carried it forward in a, in a very powerful way. And, uh, but the thing that's interesting, you know, like when Mr. Iyengar, as maybe people don't know much about Mr. Iyengar, it's hard for me to know the context of, of people listening, but, you know, Mr. Iyengar was one of the, the main um, kind of yoga gurus of 20th century. And, and, you know, they had he and Atabi Joyce and TKV Desikachar, and they had the same teacher, Krishnamacharya, who was considered like the father of, of modern yoga, some people say. And, but, and it's funny, these, these kind of main 20th century yoga gurus really um, unfolded the practice of yoga very differently, you know, so, you know, as we know, Patabi Joyce created the whole Ashtanga um, kind of system style that we see today. And, and Mr. Iyengar, of course, that's the Iyengar yoga style. And the pertinent point about Mr. Iyengar is that, you know, he, when he was born, he wasn't particularly um, robust. He had like, you, you'll see it in his book, you know, uh, Light on Life. You can read all about, you know, he talks about his, how he, you know, his beginning. And because he wasn't very strong, he ended up being um, sent to Krishnamacharya, whom Krishnamacharya had married Mr. Iyengar's sister. So he was, went there to learn. And um, and anyway, he did get stronger and eventually, uh, you know, went off and set up his own direction. But, but he didn't have a lot of direct tutelage from Krishnamacharya. So he had to kind of find his own way. And because you know he was dealing, you know, working with his own challenges in the body, and he ended up working in communities like, um, you know, who had uh, people who had different conditions or illnesses, and and women, you know, which wasn't necessarily the the norm at the time, and and he so he ended up creating props like bricks and all kinds of wild things. If you ever go into an Iyengar yoga studio, you'll see these really amazing. Um, you know contraptions in the studio so he did much to kind of create the whole notion of a prop uh in it and, and how it evolved into the practice of restored i think judith really carried that forward and, and evolved the the kind of the spirit of the work um but that said what i find interesting when i was researching for the book um you know mr younger's 20th century that's relatively modern isn't it um but if you go back into the the tradition and you look at the the hatha yogis um you know the medieval yogis and and they were using props all over the place 
Do you know what I mean? And 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 the main the main prop that we still use today, always I like asking my trainers, what do you think it was? <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, uh, uh. uh, but I'll um, I'll relieve you of your, you know, the suspense. It's actually a yoga strap. <laughs> the yoga pata is what it's called. And the yogis would kind of strap themselves into meditation posture. So, and, and the curious thing about this was that there, another prop that they used was the danda. We all know dandasana, right? That particular pose, a staff pose. So a danda is a staff. And, and so they would use that as a prop for, it, it was quite, they would use the head, the staff to put in the armpit to change the nostril dominance and that kind of thing. Uh, so we don't actually use that in restorative yoga. <laughs> no, some things have, have changed. Um, but what I'm trying to say is at that time, the props for a medieval yogi were considered a, a sign of attainment. They were a symbol of, of, of um, authority, you know, of spiritual attainment. And I always find it really kind of uh, funny how in modern day, you know, when, when students come to a studio and they see a prop, they don't really use it because they want to feel it. They feel like there was something wrong with them or something like that. And um, it's just funny the reversal that's happened. Uh, but I, one of my one of my students recently, Jackie, said that she she tends to frame the use of her props. She calls them your yoga kit, and and she finds that that, that works a lot better than just saying a prop. And I thought, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> go for it. I was just gonna say I've got I've got visions of a couple of my students who come to restorative practices and they turn up with a trolley full of stuff <laughs> <laughs> they bring duvets they bring pillows they've got three bolsters they've got blankets they've got straps yeah. they've got a trolley to wheel it in on from the car you know it's, like, <laughs> it, it's a profit event you know coming oh, to a restorative no. yoga class for them and I love it and people are like are they moving in I'm like no just just coming for an hour you know <laughs> It's what, I, what I love is that moment at the end of a restorative class, you look across the room and it looks like a big slumber party, you know, like uh, another friend of mine said, she always felt it looked like after a long haul flight from Australia to like UK, <laughs> the look of the, the inside of the plane after and I'm like, yeah, blankets thrown everywhere. <laughs> like, mm, yeah, so you, a, yeah, go ahead. Right, now I'm just gonna say, could you talk to our listeners, because some of them maybe will have no idea what a restorative class really looks like so could yeah. you maybe say a little bit about the, what, what you mean by using all these props and why we would use them and what that does for us yeah that's a very good question um which also helps to understand the ethos of, of what restorative is so and how it's quite different from other introspective styles um so you often see the conflation between restorative and yin Right. And they're just completely different styles of yoga from different branches of the yoga tree. They do cross over sometimes in similarity, but in the sense that they're both kind of on the floor and very introspective and kind of somatic, you know, felt. Um, and there's inquiry involved. Um, but that said, I think that's kind of where they they part ways a little bit, whereas in restorative, the whole purpose of the restorative practice is to the kind of the first purpose, you know, I feel, and then, then I have a, a deeper purpose, right? Uh, but the first purpose is, is to regulate autonomic nervous system. It's to downshift the nervous system from being highly mobilized 
to move towards the state of balance and actually ultimately into the relaxation relaxation response. So it's very particular. It's about the nervous system, which is why when I say in this book, it's like, you know, sometimes people think restoratives are people who are not well or something like that. And it's like, no, I mean, restorative yoga is for everybody. Anybody who has a nervous system, restorative yoga is for you. It gives you the power and the understanding of how to self-regulate, which is, I think, extremely important. So characteristics of the practice are that we use these props and the traditional props you'll find in a in a class where are they going to be bolsters, um, you know, the round or sometimes rectangular bolsters that you find or blankets. Um, we'll even use blocks, bricks, belts, um, and in, in any number of different ways. And you're either going to be most of the time supine or prone, um, you know, so that to bring about this shift. So the whole arc of a practice is about settling inwards, beginning to feel and breathe and soften. And we move the body in different ways to cre help create space, to release the physical tension that adds to, you know, the kind of autonomic nervous system aspect. So we begin to soften and breathe. And then that allows this process of deep relaxation and rest you know in other words when i first came to the uk the word that um so that you can say the iyengar um uh, style has really developed the practice and and in their schools at least in this country they did in the united states but they call it recuperative which i think is another way a nice way to think about it it's another frame for understanding what it's pointing us towards which is towards the state of balance or rest or you know Daniel was saying he came to it because he was so exhausted. It's like it can be this, you know, where you allow the body to to kind of find its way back into balance, right? So and so that's gives you a sense of the feel. It's very slow in the sense that you might do four, maybe five poses in an hour. Um, and so there's longer periods of holding where you, where you rest in the poses to allow or enable this the nervous system to make this kind of systemic shift um, and it, so it can be quite a profound practice and um, you know and for me of course linking back to like why do restorative it became a profoundly spiritual endeavor not that it has to be that necessarily for others but when you come into a state of balance all of a sudden the perception is clear and the lenses through which we see, we can begin to explore deep, deeper aspects of what it means to be human being. And so I find that really, really compelling. Um, and if I'm constantly moving uh, around and trying to do super crazy poses, which I definitely did in my 20s, you know, um, but now I'm not, I'm not quite so interested in that. I, I just want to go in. I want to understand who and what I am at my essence and find a sense of meaning and purpose. Like that's for me what it's about. Um, and so I think restorative fits very, very nicely into that kind of um, process. Thank you. That's a really beautiful explanation and so nuanced. There's so much more we could say just about what you've discussed. But I kind of I, I just wanted to make a little observation and see what your thought on this is. I, I noticed I'm, I don't teach restorative practice, but I do go to restorative class or I'll do it at home sometimes. Um, there's something very tender about the way I will approach a practice in a restorative way. Um, you know, thinking about, you know, am I am I really 
letting my body be held is the word that fell jumps up to me so even the way you know i'll if i'm perhaps putting something under my hands and wrists you know so that there's no sense of them you know there's a softness under them or considering you know does my shoulder feel really well looked after here you know and what about my neck does that feel like just the right angle and there's something about asking those questions to myself that feels really I mean even saying it now I feel slightly like pinpricky eyes like how often do we ask ourselves in as we go through our day am I am I being tender with myself am I considering myself in how I do this activity and one of the things that's really changed my life through the years of doing practice is that self-inquiry that happens not in a pose but in how I approach and set up a posture and then how you know whether I stay in that posture or do I make adjustments in it so you know I think there's just something so loving about the relationship we develop with ourselves when we practice restorative specifically for me anyway that is then transferable into our life you know if we're tender with ourselves in our practice then perhaps in our interactions with others and the way we conduct ourselves in our lives maybe we have that little word that comes up and say oh you know is this actually the right thing for me does this feel good is this bringing me closer to my core values and looking after myself or taking me further away i don't i don't know what what are your thoughts on on that yeah so so beautiful what you just shared i mean honestly i i especially in a culture where we tend to push ourselves and I, I even though I was raised in the United States I think it's probably a similar dynamic not exactly the same but you know the, the pushing ourselves the striving to succeed you know and it's not necessarily written into our culture to to pause to stop to to simply rest so we we're all I think that's what's sometimes challenging with the restorative work is like we're having to confront our own self-narratives <laughs> <laughs> and um like the things that say like i so many teachers when they come to my trainings to say they feel like they're being lazy <laughs> when they practice restorative and i'm like okay let's just let's just pull back from that let's take that word <laughs> what why would lying down resting turning inwards and feeling where you're at would be equated with laziness that i'm sorry is messed up I don't say that to them, but I'm saying that here. That's a messed up kind of worldview to me. And, and it's true. The restorative is so much about care and presence and, you know, tuning in and understanding. And, and one of the things is a whole section of the book where I, work, I, I talk about, you know, the, the things that are important to, to aspect of to create the conditions for calm and presence you know and in one of this them this is a distinguishing characteristic that also separates from other styles is that's about comfort you know like in other words you're not going to go force yourself to put your foot behind your head and do like bondas and breathe you know i hear i'm saying that in a way it sounds negative i don't mean to really uh, but it's about setting yourself up in such a way that you can feel at ease and of course this feeds back in to the whole point of nervous system health if and you know one of the the primary things if you do not feel safe you cannot relax period so 
I quite like when we when we shifted to the Zoom restorative. And funny enough, I had, you know, every week the Toyota restorative class, you know, has 40, 50 people in it. And, I, and at first I thought, you can't teach restorative over a screen. And honestly, it's working because one aspect, I think, is because people are in their own home and they have their sanctuary. You know, they've created a little safe space. You don't have to travel like after you don't have to go out and to like try try out where I often teaches in Camden. So it's like a bit crazy on the outside. So you don't have to go travel to get home. Like you can go into this nice, beautiful space inside yourself where you and, and do what you need to feel warm or make the adjustment just the right way to feel the, the softening and to move inwards and, and just rest. So, yeah, comfort is, a, is an important aspect of I think this type this style of, of practicing yoga I found it really interesting teaching restorative yoga online because normally I would have a group of people and in world pre-covid you was able to wander around and see oh you know how have they adjust how how have they set up their neck? How's their hand supported? Do their elbow need a bit more? And you can't do that now, can you? When you're, or you can't do it on Zoom unless, mm -hmm. you know, someone's been very, very considerate around how they've, you know, placed the Zoom. Normally you're just getting a shot of an ankle or, you know, someone's elbow or something. It's all of the foot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> I found actually I've had to get more vocal in my queuing of people. Yeah to ask them to check how is your neck how are your shoulders how are your arms how are your legs how's your back how's <laughs> you know and it, and it feels like i'm talking more than what i would feel comfortable to talk in a restorative class but that needs to happen to have that sense of you as a teacher holding that space for others because that's the beauty of what a restorative class does isn't it is you're giving you're giving that bit of yourself that feels quite vulnerable to someone else to look after for a while. And that, that for me is the real power thing between, you know, someone coming in and just giving that trust to us as teachers to hold that space for them. There's, there's so many little aspects there when I kind of pick up on. The one thing I like about the Zoom aspect and this, everyone's in their safe space, but it does empower people to make choices mm. because I'm not there. I can't go and help them out. I can't change the props. I'm like, okay, all right, at home, get whatever pillows you have, get whatever books, you know, um, throws off your couch, you know, just stack blankets. And then I have to kind of show the setup and like you say, be very clear in how you fold and like, and show them the way I'm okay, Now you have to figure out with what you have, how do you do that? <laughs> and, and it's, you know, and I just trust them it, off they go and they, they sort themselves out and people seem to have is just a powerful experience as they do when it's in person. Now, the curious thing is I started teaching in-person restorative again, and I'm still doing online. Now, when I go to teach the in-person restorative class, oh my gosh, it's like, it is so much work. I have to go around the room. I, I'm so clear because we've had the Zoom training, right? You know, like, and yet 
you still find people are don't understand the use of the props or necessarily to pick one prop over the other and they've kind of just thrown themselves in it like a car crash a little bit and i'm like oh, okay so now having to walk around you know in my mask and again breathe and then i'm going in i'm trying to like help people find the comfort and so it's very physical moving around so i think both aspects are important it's, it's nice having a home zoom kind of restorative practice to create sanctuary in your house that place where you can go reset your nervous system back to even tone and it's also nice to go to class you really start to understand the subtlety and 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 um of the work and and the possibility and the textures of the props and the different kind of props you can use that can create a whole different type of experience hmm. i'm just thinking as I was listening to you talk, you guys chatting about that, that, I mean, we said earlier this, you know, restorative is for everybody because all of us have this heightened nervous system because we're on the, we're on the go all the time. I was saying this in class this morning, you know, even in a posture, you can be thinking about the end of the posture and transitioning to the next space versus just being right there in that moment where your foot's moving very gently across the floor or your arms lifting towards your shoulder or whatever. And I just think how beautiful for people maybe who have some struggles with caring for themselves to be offered this in such a gentle way as a therapeutic practice. You know, I'm thinking of people that maybe have a really challenging relationship with their body or have experienced some trauma, you know, because there's something very, I know there's been times in the past where I've been having a difficult time going and doing a restorative class where, you know, maybe my hands are weighted or you know, a nice blanket resting over me and you know, just being with my breath and just giving myself that time. You know, I, I think it must be a deeply therapeutic practice. Is that something that you've experienced or worked with specifically? Well, yes, it is, of course. I mean, how could it not be when you pause enough to settle inwards and feel what's going on? It's going to start to create a whole world of um, movement. Let's say things start to move. I always say in my classes, like the body is, it, it's holding mm. stuff for you until you have time to sort it out. Mm. So sometimes when people come to restorative, you know, you start to settle and the first thing you feel is anxiousness or restlessness or because we're not accustomed, we haven't been trained necessarily to, to begin to slow down, to pause and to value the experience of space. And it's, it's the profundity of it. So we have to have a bit of, um, as teachers, like compassion. And, you, and you'll see, you know, uh, dif different nervous systems come in, you know. And some people, you know, take to the restorative immediately. And some people have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with it. And maybe it's not their time yet to do it, which is fine. Um, or maybe they just need to stick with, with it a little bit. And while... And, and the trauma thing, you know, I am not any kind of trained trauma therapist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've certainly, you know, tiptoed through Bessel van der Kolk's book, you know, The Body Keeps the Score, who hasn't read it? It's an amazing book. Um, and hopefully have a little bit more understanding about what goes on for people who are experiencing trauma or PTSD. And I think restorative can be a very useful part of a whole approach to beginning a process of healing and i think with anybody who is 
experiencing that is just giving yourself a lot of space. You know, you come mm -hmm. to class. I always say if someone tells me if they feel like they want to share that aspect with me, I'm like, if you need to get up and go, it's fine. But you know, you can always come back too. And so if you need to sit up and if you just, just know that you have choice here, because that's the other thing about the restorative, it, it, it is about choices. I mean, mm -hmm. everything should be ultimately, but it's like, the choice, like, like you said, if it's, if do you need to change the height of the head to fill a little bit more space at the base of the skull, is that going to cause the face to, to soften so you can go in that kind of subtlety of choice versus, you know, is this, do I need to, to change my posture? Do I need to, you know, go outside the room and get a drink? Do I need to come back? Cause you're in a deep connection or, or intimacy with yourself. You're trying to, you're seeking to understand who and what you are and how to support yourself yeah that's so that's so profound thank you and i'm, I'm just rereading that book at the moment the body holds the score i think i think uh, i think i've cried four times this week and, and i'm reading i'm listening to it on audible on my way back and forwards to to work so i'm walking with my earphones on listening to it with the tears because <laughs> some of it is so sad but also so hopeful at the same time it's, it's, if you haven't read it check out in the show notes it's a great book really recommend it um but you, you know that can you can you speak a little bit more about this journey inwards because i think that's so fascinating you know when we often especially in the west people look at this you know yoga postures as being a shape and then they're trying to get their body to make that particular shape that the teacher has suggested to them would be a good thing for whatever reason whereas actually in restorative yoga that isn't at all what's happening and you, you keep coming back to the sense of we're going inwards could you say a little bit about what that means that traveling inwards or coming home or you know this deeper sense of self for maybe people who, who aren't quite clear about what that might mean yeah you know um it, you made me think back to when i i don't know i must have been like five or six years old and i was i grew up in the texas panhandle that's the north part of texas and i remember looking out my window as a little kid and seeing this incredible sky the high plains of texas very flat and it's the most amazing sunsets just extraordinary i remember looking at this little kid and just like my heart just exploded i'm like that is so i just i was transported into this state of like just profound aliveness and joy and that was a very formative experience and like my whole life you know has been about trying to rediscover that that place more or less and so i was a dancer so dancing was a way that i at times would kind of experience this ex ecstasy certain moments of absolute connection and and then of course when i found my teacher in the ashram and we were doing the again it kept coming on up again and again so for me it's about how do you live in a way where you feel fully alive and awake to the experience and and then there's a profound sense of respect and and joy like you know a respect for beauty you know like i think sometimes we end up hearing so many tragic things and right now the world there's so many <laughs> you listen to the news and it's terrifying you know like and it's hard i think it's really hard if you've never had access to any sort of kind of practices that allow you to dip into a different frame of perception to think that that's not you know there's something different than that rather than a lens of cynicism or despair or negativity that you actually can 
experience the world through a lens that is joyful. And of course, all, you know, in the yoga tradition, in no uncertain manner, various texts across thousands of years always point you back to yourself. Like they'll say the body is the microcosm of the macrocosm. So where else can you go to discover this deep and profound way of experiencing what I'm calling beauty um, or joy or depth of experience, but through your own experience. And that was my experience of my guru. She always pointed me back to myself. I kept like wanting to her to like, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. She's like, meditate, <laughs> turn inwards. And that was the first definition of yoga I ever heard was yoga is to turn the awareness inwards. So perception is usually outwards. So here we're having a profound meditation. You're turning the perception inwards and investigating the very essence of your being. And there's not like a right or wrong. There's not this particular way to experience that. It's like allowing you people the ability to go within without some sort of outer imprint to experience all that you are and come to a profound state of connection. To me, that's what yoga has always been, regardless of the style. And I find that restorative in particular lends itself to that type of inward focus where you can rest and be very present and just kind of start feeling and sensing into the layers of the physical body, the layers of the mind, the layers of the emotion, the psyche, the breath, the stillness, and right at the core of being that wonderful sort of aspect of all that we are that we never seem to look at, consciousness itself, the capacity to be aware or to know that we know. Why wouldn't you be interested in that? It's utterly like profound. And of course, that's, you know, one of the, you know, in Tantra, that's one of the main focuses that the core of the highest reality is consciousness itself. So for me, it is that pathway back to essence. I think what you've said, Anna, as well, you know, it just rings so true with, you know, the experiences that I've had of practicing yoga for, you know, sort of 25 years now is, I, you know, for some time, I will have practices that allow me to, to, to find those places within myself. And then I evolve as a person, my body evolves, my mind evolves, my life changes. And I need another way of looking in. And it might be as simple as changing a posture in restorative yoga, it might be needing to change my pranayama practice, my meditation practice, maybe I need to you know, stop doing yoga nidra for a little while and maybe focus a little bit more on just having quietness and stillness in my life. But knowing that there's this amazing toolbox that yoga gives us, and there's all these different, these eight limbs that we can explore ourselves with and through, and then being prescriptive for each individual rather than it being this is the way that you need to work <laughs> and 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 that to me just gives this infinite amount of possibility towards what yoga can do for us as a tool but ultimately what yoga gives to us as an attainable place to go to to experience complete joy complete connection complete freedom from you know the the, the shackles that are put upon us through society beautifully said thank yeah. you <laughs> Anna I wanted to give you an opportunity to read a short passage from your book because there's some really beautiful words that you wrote and it, it feels the right time for you to maybe share those <laughs> thank you 
Thank you. I'd love to share it. I, um, when I put the book together, I divided it into three parts, uh, power, the power of the practice itself from the point of view of the physiology, presence, you know, this aspect of turning inwards and sensing into the essence of all that they are. And of course, the practice, it's uh, power presence practice, how you actually do the practice, that, that toolkit you were talking about. So I went back and I decided to write a poem <laughs> about what each part meant to me. And so that, I remember when they, they got back to me, I said, they were like, do we need to, you know, who do we need to copyright this for? I'm like, it's mine. <laughs> I wrote it. Uh, you know, so it's kind of a little bit of me there that, that is a distillation of probably each of the, the sections in the book, I would say. So I'm happy to share that with you now. Okay. I need to put on my glasses. <laughs> Two seconds. Power. Become still and turn inwards. Supported and safe, be at ease. Rest and heal. Experience the aliveness within. Awaken to fullness of being. Presence. Experience the moment as it unfolds. Soft abiding fullness, where self meets self emerges in ecstasy and ever-present joy. Practice. Feel into, sense, and know inner being as sanctuary. Discipline, a wellspring that liberates. Turn inwards and listen. Gosh, that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I really hope that as a result of the podcast that more people try restorative yoga. We so need it in our life. We spoke early in the podcast about, you know, what our hopes were for the coming year and things improving. My real hope is that we as a society build community once again. I feel like there's a lot of bridges that need to be built. And I think if you're in a heightened state of alert and your nervous system's wired, that's not going to happen. Um, so as a starting place, we kind of have to look inwards at our relationship with ourselves. And you spoke about how you, you know, you went and you go inwards during your practice and you're connecting with your state of your consciousness or the, the witness, the witness eye, perhaps another word. And I think uh, there's a lot of, when we look at and develop this relationship with ourselves, it enables us to develop a beautiful, loving relationship with others. And for me, that's what the invitation of restorative practices is an opportunity to develop relationship. So I'm so grateful for the wisdom of the practice and that you've taken the time to write an insightful book that's gonna, I'm sure, be so helpful to teachers, students alike, 
and um, yeah, thank you. I know there's an opportunity for people to come and train with you. Uh, there's going to be um, a training in spring this year, which we may have just missed because I think this podcast will go out just after. I don't know. We'll see what we can do. Um, and also again in the autumn. So, you know, if you're a teacher and you're looking for a genuine, authentic, experiential practice, then I would recommend it and we'll put this the, the, the details of that in the show notes show notes is there anything else you would like to share with us before we come to a close you know I just want to thank you both because I know this is a podcast but I feel like I've had a really profound connection with you and being able to share and talk about um, what yoga is and why it's important to me uh, I, I just I feel very grateful that you've You've, allowed, you've enabled this to happen. So thank you both very, very much. And I hope to meet you in person in the mm. not far distant future. Thank I'm gonna come along. Yeah. I'm gonna come along and do a class. It's gonna be online though. I'm not coming to London. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not bringing my trolley up to try yoga, sorry. I'm gonna do it online. I've, I've, yeah, so great. Thank you. Sorry, Daniel, I jumped over you, carry on. No, no, I was just gonna say thank you, Anna. You know, I think, Dawn and I started this podcast during the first lockdown because we needed to connect with other people and it was our way of you know reaching out and creating community because we felt our community at the time was you know falling apart and we didn't know what to do so thank you for recognizing that we've done that because it means so much for us to be able to share these experiences with as many people as possible and to allow this podcast to you know hopefully allow people to have some respite away from stuff that's going on but also give them an opportunity maybe to learn or grow from so I'm really appreciative thank you thank you both oh, and I'm really hoping that you'll come back because I think we've got more to say thank you so much I'd be happy to well, thank you so much, Anna. Thank you, Dawn, for being my co-host. And thank you for listening. Um, we really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If there is any feedback you'd like to give us, please do head on over to the Apple app and you can leave a um, review on there. Um, you can also contact us through various other um, avenues where podcasts can be listened to. Um, if there's anyone you want us to interview or a conversation you'd like us to have, please do let us know. We're more than happy to hear your feedback. So until next time, thank you, Dawn. Thank you, Anna. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.